Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning. Good morning to you guys outside. Good morning to you guys who are joining us live. And good morning, afternoon, evening to those who will watch later, uh, whenever you'll watch it. A couple things I want to uh, present right off the bat. Uh, one mark on your calendars, Friday, July 11th at 7 p.m. We are going to be having a Everyone Genesis Zoom meeting at that time where we want to share some things with everybody. We want to see your faces again. So if you could put that down on your calendar, we will give you the link and all the information as the days come up. But Friday, June 11th at 7 p.m., we are going to have a Zoom meeting and we want everyone to be a part of that. I'd like to introduce uh, some of the leadership to everyone as well as share about our uh, kind of reopening, which is going to be the next date, which is Sunday, June 20th. It's actually Father's Day. Uh, You're probably aware that the governor has said that uh, something magic is going to happen on June 15th, and we're going to be able to open up again. Um, So starting June 20th, we are going to be opening up more as well, but we want to tell you guys what that looks like at the Zoom meeting, but plan on being with us Sunday, June 20th, if you're comfortable, or on Zoom uh, Friday, June 11th, and hopefully you're comfortable with that as well. Uh, Other things, remember, uh, we are here because of your offering and contributions, and so if you can worship in those areas as well, whether it be uh, going online and giving it through Zelle, Venmo, mailing it to our address here, all these things can be found at thegenesisstory.com, as well as some other things that are taking place, and we'll have the information regarding the Zoom and all these things there as well as the other social media. So... Those things taking place, excited about that and excited to try and push into some other things to develop, uh, like the human library that we were going to do over a year ago and other events taking place. Um, Really, there are some cool things happening with the works building and with ideas we have to move forward. So hopefully you guys can join in with those things because, man, this has been one heck of a ride, right? This has been a journey. We've been talking about transformation for a period of time now, and I want to, again, emphasize that 
what we want and, and why I am and I imagine you are a follower of Jesus is because we are wanting our lives to be transformed so that we can live like he lived, so that we can be more like who he is. And this idea of transformation and following Jesus, it says of Jesus that he was full of grace and truth. And so we've been looking at what that looks like. What does grace and truth look like in the person of Christ? And we see that it's very inclusive. And in this journey, we've talked about how we can start to lean into it. We, we talked about how God starts to reveal himself or speak to us. We detect these moments that we've called kairos. We name them so that we could better understand them and see them at work in our lives. We've talked about then digging into that to see what that is trying to accomplish. And usually when we are aware of something, it is happening so that we can bring about change in one form or another. That's what repentance is. And now we're looking at discerning. If we've been made aware of something, if we start to uncover what it's speaking to us, then we have to discern what that news is. And we're doing three parts on this area of discern. We're doing security, belonging, and significance. Last week, I talked about security and the things that we do to feel secure. I talked about the lie of security that is you are what you have. And then the idolatry of security, that these are the things that actually you can trust. Today, I want to talk about belonging and how important that is. And if you can, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 5. We are looking at the temptation of Jesus as he was taken out to the wilderness Verse five, it says, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When I was a young lad, probably about six or seven years old, I I used to go and stay with my cousins at their house, and I went to school with them, and it was out in Pico Rivera. And and I remember one day, I, I was trying to get the neighbor girl's attention I think her name was Vivian. And and so what I did is I climbed the tree in the backyard and I would start swinging on the tree back and forth because, you know, you could start rocking back and forth. And I was singing, I think it was either A Hard Day's Night or Help from the Beatles. And it was my way of getting Vivian's attention and, and it worked. And she came into the backyard where I was and I was there trying to impress her with my ability to climb trees and sing. And it didn't actually work the way I wanted. It ended with me doing a cartwheel through some clotheslines and eating dirt on the ground. But I was trying 
to get her attention, doing what I could to try and get her to notice me. Now, going to the pinnacle of the temple would be the highest place in Jerusalem where everyone would be able to see Jesus. And if they saw an angel catching him from falling off the temple, well, that would get attention for sure. Probably more than me swinging in a tree, singing help in the backyard at my cousin's house. And you see, it feels good when people notice us, especially if we're doing something that's good, doing something well, right? When, when you're on your game, when you're playing an instrument and you hit all the notes, sing all the right notes and you do it well and people applaud, or when you are playing in a sport and, and you you know, score or make a a basket and, and you do something and people notice it. We like that. We we enjoy that sense of approval. Right? We we want the camera to be on our good side, whichever side that is. I don't know which my good side is yet, so hopefully I'll figure it out in the next year or so. Or we have those forgiving filters, right, that put that filter on that makes me look like I have no blemishes and my my skin is perfect and it makes me look thinner. And, you know, we, we want to have this presentation that people will see us in an approving way. But Jesus doesn't do this. Not just here, but... Throughout his life, he he tells the people who he's healed not to talk about it with anyone. He even commands his disciples who confess his true identity that he is the Christ to keep it quiet. And, And he does incredible miracles, things that would get press, things that would really promote him. He does all these things, but he does it in such a way to play it on the down low that he goes to his hometown in Nazareth and they want to stone him to death because they aren't aware of the miraculous things that he does. And he challenges them as he reads from the prophet Isaiah saying that today the scripture is fulfilled, basically saying that I have come in the fulfillment of what the prophets have talked about in the Messiah. And they're saying, no, you're just Mary's son. We, we know who you are because he didn't play up these miraculous things. He didn't use the, the publicity. He, he, he didn't have a brand. Or maybe he did. But it's so different than what we think of that it wasn't even distinguishable. Overall, Jesus shows an unwavering distrust in what people thought of him. I love J.B. Phillips' translation from John 2 where he says, while he was in Jerusalem at Passover time during the festivities, many believed in him as they saw the signs that he gave, but Jesus on his side did not trust himself to them for he knew them all. He did not need anyone to tell him what people were like. 
he understood human nature. And I think that's getting to the heart of what it is in belonging. You see, it's human nature to want to belong. It's human nature to want to be accepted. It's human nature. It is a natural thing for us to want to be accepted by others. The problem happens or occurs when this desire for belonging puts us in places that are problematic. See, Jesus needed people. Jesus loved people. He loved his disciples. He loved Joanna, whose name was Susanna, and the other women who provided financial support to him and his disciples. But he didn't need others to fill an unmet need for esteem or affection. He didn't need them to get what he already had. He was beloved by God. And being loved comes with affection, and esteem. Knowing you're loved and knowing that you're enough has a way of disarming the desire for celebrity status and the unhealthy need for approval by others. And this is the lie that I am what people think instead of I am who God made me. Remember that the temptation last week for security when Jesus was tempted to turn stones to bread, the temptation wasn't the turning the stones to the bread. The temptation that Jesus disclosed was that man would live by bread alone. The temptation was to think that that was all that he needed. Humanity cannot live by bread alone. Temptation is often less about getting us to do the bad things than it is about getting us to think that those destructive things are really the things that we need. And here the temptation is different, right? Even though something similar is happening, unlike bread that is, you know, what we really physically need, throwing yourself off the temple? You see, I I doubt Jesus was thinking, you know what I think I'll do right now? I throw myself off the temple, right? Where I, I could see him saying, man, I really wish I had some bread right now. But this one's different, But Jesus' response to the temptation, do not test the Lord your God, can give us some clarity as to what's going on. You see, when he says that, do not put the Lord your God to the test, he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, but he's not quoting the whole passage. The, The last portion of the passage says, as you did at Massa. Now, Massa was the place in the wilderness where the people grumbled about water. And you can read about it in Exodus chapter 17. This was a crucial moment in Israel's history where they refused to trust God's covenant promises that he would provide and take care of them. And so they were grumbling. And the word Massa means to test or prove. And Jesus here seems to think throwing himself off the temple mount 
would be like forcing God's hand, making God prove that Jesus belonged, that he had a place as God's son. How do I get people to see that I really am God's son? How do I get people to see that I'm okay or that I'm right with God or that I'm spiritual? How do I get people to see that? And sometimes what happens is we start catering to what people want to see instead of who God wants us to be. What I find in Jesus is this belonging, his his sense of affection, his sense of esteem is rooted in God's approval of who he is, not in people's. And this is the temptation in the wilderness to operate out of the fear of not being enough. Now, even as I say those words, not being enough, immediately in my mind, I think that's true. I'm not enough. I'm not a, a good enough pastor, teacher. I'm not a good enough husband. I'm not a good enough son, daughter. I'm not a good enough fill in the blanks, employee, employer. I'm not a good enough. I'm not a good enough. It's a constant thing where we feel that we are not being enough. And to use powerful, miraculous displays helps secure his standing with God and with others. I I find this is true in the religious world as well, where some people are just following after the miraculous, the sensational, because it gives them some kind of, you know, credit. It gives me cred when I, I do something amazing. It gives me some kind of credentials when I am a part of something that's big. It's impressive if I tell people something miraculous that God did for me. See, okay, God is with him. Oh, wow, okay, I, I guess it's true. And then that's it. I, I feel better about this now. I, I am being enough because of how you now see me. Even though it might be a facade. Think about what drives people to do things. Often it's to prove their worth, to gain that approval. Think of how many have chosen a profession wanting to please their parents instead of doing what they really desired or loved to do. Think of how many decisions we make based on how other people will then see us. And that's the temptation. The temptation isn't about throwing ourselves into a situation. It's trying to prove that we are of value. It happens in scripture. Think of the Tower of Babel, right? We're gonna make a name for ourselves, right? When the people chose Saul to be king, why? The other nations have king, and besides, he looks good. We would look good with him as king. Why? Peter stopped eating with the Gentiles and Paul talks about rebuking him publicly in Galatians 2 because he wanted the approval from his fellow Jews. 
Why did Jesus say, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account? Why would that be blessed? Because you're not trying to belong to something that you're not. You are accepting what you are, who you are. Other words that we've used like esteem or affection, these do a deeper work at communicating what the fear of not being enough does within us, right? This is how we seek to get our need for belonging that creates the problem. Where we cater to what others want, others think, more than what we care about what's best and what's good and what God desires for us. And how do we recognize or discern? Because that's what this is all about. It's discerning. How do we discern these things when this temptation shows up in our life? Well, first, start noticing, right, when this Kairos moment happens, when you feel like something is speaking to me, it's speaking to me in some way. Again, we've talked about this in the past where you, you have a sensation where you feel like you're being aware of something in you, a circumstance around you. When those things happen, show up in your life, start noticing if you have fear, concern, or anxiety about your belonging and standing with others. You're in a circumstance, you're in a room, and all of a sudden you become very conscious of how you look or how you present yourself. What is the fear, concern, or anxiety? And and here are some ways that the temptation of belonging may be at work, right? When I try to impress others, how do I do it? Is it because I'm intellectual? I'm funny, I'm nice, my fashion, my athletic abilities, my talents. When I try to impress people, am I doing these things to get approval? When I feel the need to set the record straight on a misunderstanding about my actions or character, I find myself needing to defend or justify my actions when I'm critiqued. When I have to have the last word in a disagreement or discussion, when I say yes to others, their needs and demands, but end up resenting or regretting it. When I say yes to others and I neglect more important and pressing relationships or responsibilities, maybe that's telling me something. When I say yes to others to keep the peace and make them happy, when I suffer from the fear of missing out, which shows up in an insecurity about friends interacting without my being there, or I'm not invited, I missed out on something. When I use my personality strengths to impress, to manage, to manipulate, or massage relationships. When someone responds to me in a negative way, or they're short with me, dismissive, I internalize it as it's my fault. When I blame myself for others' choices or how they respond to me, when I preach or teach, when I lead and do not receive affirmation 
and I get into a funk because no one says anything. When I say or don't say something for fear of what others may think. See, in each of these situations, a need for belonging may or may not be at work. These aren't guaranteeing that something's wrong, but if you're always saying yes to people, even though it's causing problems to you, you might have a problem with belonging. You're saying it because you want to get approval from them. Now, it may not. might be other issues that you've got going on, but these are, are things to look at. Why do I feel the need to defend myself? Why do I feel the need to to put myself in this light? Why do I feel that I have to do these things? Is it because I want people to see me in a certain light and it is that need for their approval that is now driving the actions that I have? The core sin of belonging is shame. We are afraid to be seen for who we really are, so we hide, we pretend, we perform. Shame keeps us from true vulnerability because we fear that. If we're seen for who we really are, we might be rejected. I just talked to a friend yesterday who's just in a relationship with somebody and they're going through some difficulties and he was kind of, you know, drawing the line and he was making these ultimatums. And I just said, you know what? Instead of making an ultimatum, what if you just put yourself out there and were vulnerable and said, you know what? I'm afraid of losing this relationship instead of I need to make sure I have this relationship. What if being vulnerable is actually the better way to connect us to belonging. I want to show a video right now that just talks a little bit more about shame. So let me have the guys go ahead and start that. So in my own life, I, I really start, I struggled deep with shame. Um, for, for years. Um, I went through a period of where I just really, I, I was so, so ashamed that I couldn't manage like the most basic stuff. I was really, really good in ministry, but like I had laundry piled up for days in my apartment, right? Like, or weeks actually. And, you know, and then I would not have a balanced checkbook. In fact, I never even touched my checkbook, right? Like, and so, so then there was debt and blah, blah, blah. And so I, and that shame led me to hide led me to put on a mask, like I was all good, right? We're all good, we're good. In fact, you know, and so, but what what does that do? Shame, the lie of shame is that it tells you that you are intrinsically bad. Not that you've done something that's gonna hurt you, right? Like, or that, that has hurt someone else, but that you are in yourself, in your being, not enough. But that's where the image of God where that that doctrine comes in and it tells you, no, you were created in the image of God. You are enough. And yeah, you've done some stuff that's like hooked up your life. Yeah, you need to start checking your checkbook. Yeah, you need to start doing some laundry and you need to start dealing. But in order to deal, the very first thing that had to happen for me 
was I had to confront shame because I had to come into the light. I had to step out of the darkness, out from behind the mask of perfection, of being perfect, and actually admit that I am just human. I am clay. I am frail. I am hooked up in this area, and I don't know what it was that made me like this, but I got it, and I need to deal with it. And so, and it was in that process that healing began. And I think that, so shame keeps us from experiencing shalom because it keeps us in the dark. It keeps us hiding. And as long as we're hiding, we'll never be able to be connected with God and we'll never be able to be connected with others. And that's where the good stuff is. Like the, the greatest joys of life are in those points of connection. We won't ever experience that if we are always hiding behind the mask of perfection. The program for happiness is affection and esteem. The silent message is I will be happy when people like, appreciate, accept me. The need to be accepted and affirmed by others drives our action, and the shame of who we are keeps us hiding from the reality that God is wanting to bring about in our lives. The core question of belonging is, am I enough? And immediately we say, no, I'm not enough. Again, I'm not as good as I should be. And even as, we sh- you know, in the video, I haven't done my laundry. And you can fill in the blanks of the problems that you see in yourself. But we, we doubt who we are looking for others to validate and affirm the belonging and significance. The lie of belonging is, I have something to hide. This is the message of shame. We deeply doubt we have goodness, worth, and beauty in ourselves. So we hide who we are from from others, and if you really knew who I was, you'd reject me, so we put on the mask and we pretend. The false identity of belonging is I am what others think, and so I have to put forward what others will accept. And remember that God only deals in reality. He can only work who we really are. He is not going to work with the image of something we are not. He's not going to work in the false presentation of who we want to be. He is going to only deal with the core of who we really are. And it's important that we understand that it is there that God says that you are enough, you are loved, you are my beloved, and I will extend myself to who you really are, where you really are, period. This is good news. And first, sometimes we have to discern the bad news that I'm trying to get approval to become who others think I should be instead of understanding that I am loved where I am. Jesus resists the temptation to trust the esteem and affection of the crowds and leaders throughout his life. It's not that he didn't care at all about what they thought. He did, but they thought 
what they thought didn't become who Jesus was. He knew he belonged to the Father, so he was free to belong to the apostles or not belong to the religious leaders as he lived in the center of God's love. You see, at Jesus' time, it would have been more accepted to belong to those in power, but he chose to be connected to those who didn't have power because they were in line with who he was and who God was. In Luke 13, verse 31, it says, at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I will finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Now, why did the Pharisees tell Jesus to get out of here? It wasn't really because they were concerned about Jesus. They just wanted him out of their hair. But Jesus didn't care about what the Pharisees wanted. He didn't even care about what Herod wanted. He was there for a purpose and he knew what his purpose was. And so he could put aside what they wanted of him and he could step into that. His response is beautiful. He wasn't going to be bullied by them. But in the next breath, he grieves in deep sorrow about how Jerusalem has rejected him. In verse 34, it says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered you, your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Now, this is important because Jesus doesn't despise what others think about him. He, he's not callous and unfeeling, but he simply is free to love others because he doesn't need them in order to know his own sense of worth, identity, or belonging. You see, there's a freedom now that's untainted by wanting approval that is free to just love and care in truth and in genuine concern. He had a healthy connection to his friends. He weeped when Lazarus died. Betrayal hurt him. Could you not stay with me one hour at this time, he said in the garden. But their pressure and opinions couldn't sway him from who he was and his purpose or his love for them. It's so important we don't overcome the temptation of belonging by despising others, by cutting ourselves off from healthy relationships. Belonging is genuine, God-given, and it's our need, something we desire. To belong is good. But when we've been hurt, we want to shut the door because people and their opinion of us matter so much that we don't want that to happen again so we don't become vulnerable and instead we start putting out ultimatums. Instead, we start distancing ourselves. Instead, it's too much work to lean into this and what's happening is we are so concerned about what others think. The good news for us is that Jesus resisted the temptation of belonging at every stage of his life. He becomes for us the new Adam, the example to set straight our understanding of where we are with God. He becomes the new Jerusalem, right? This new humanity. 
as he lives and operates in the complete security of who he is, drawing healthy distinctions between himself and others while staying faithfully connected to who he is and who God has, what God has called him to do. On the cross, Jesus felt the full weight of the temptation of belonging. All his friends had left him. He was once again confronted with a temptation to make public spectacle, to vindicate himself in the sight of others. He was tempted by the crowds. In Matthew 27, verse 39, it says, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild in three days, save yourself if you're the son of God. Come down from the cross. He was pressured by the religious leaders in verse 42. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. By the soldiers in Luke 23, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. Even by a person on the cross next to him in Luke 23, again, it says one of the criminals who were hanged there railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. All these things are people rejecting who he is. All these things are people telling him, you are not, you are not, you are not enough. You are not the son of God. You do not have the approval. You do not have our approval. You do not have God's approval. All these are temptations for him to say, I do belong. And what can I do to prove to you that I belong? And he does nothing, but he dies on the cross. The good news is that the story doesn't end there. The good news is the vindication by the resurrection. The good news is that Jesus fulfilled who he was and it was approved by God as he brings life to us through his own life. The one who resisted the temptation of belonging was rejected at the cross and accepted in his resurrection. And in Christ Jesus, we are all accepted into God's family where we have esteem and affection belonging, and acceptance. Amen, period, end of story. That's it. That's who you are. You are beloved. You are enough. You do not have to do anything to get God's approval. You don't have to do anything to have another person's approval that you are enough. Yes, you have to work with people. Yes, you have to do your laundry. Yes, you have to do the things that help us to be better human beings, but you do not get validated by others and you don't have to please others to get validation for yourself. That comes from God. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter two, starting at verse 12. Paul writes, remember, that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man or one new humanity in place of the two, so making peace." and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. You belong your family. One of the heartbreaking things when we'd go to the orphanages in New Mexico is going there and seeing these children who've been abandoned by their parents, who feel that there is something wrong with them because their mom, their dad did not want them. There was a, a, a couple of sisters who their family had put them up for adoption, but the dad went and got married and had a new family and they would come visit them with their new family. But then they would leave them at the orphanage and they would go home. Imagine the number that would put on you. Our adoption into Christ's family means that we too can live despising the shame as Christ did on the cross. The good news revealed in Jesus is that we are chosen by God. See, just want to tell those girls, you're not abandoned, you're chosen. You're accepted, you're enough, you are loved. You don't have to do something to get that. You have what is necessary for that from God. God sees you. God knows you. God loves you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Shame wants us to believe that we have to hide who we really are from God and others, but God is wanting and waiting for us in our shame to accept us into his family full of belonging and intimacy. And this is the gospel, the good news for those who live in shame. God sees you, God knows you, God loves you just as you are. Guess what? You belong. And in Jesus' prayer, our Father who is in heaven, something powerful about that. This morning as I was putting things together. Judas stayed overnight. And so he was in the room next door and he, he got up, it's probably about 5.30 or so he was up talking. And so he was talking by himself because Jordan wasn't up, but he was talking. But I would hear him say, dad, dad, dad. And just that name, there was something endearing there. 
it's, I can talk to you at five in the morning, even though you're asleep and I'm awake. I, I, I have the right to come to you and, and I, I'm going to be persistent. I'm going to, I'm going to say, dad, 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 until you answer me. Why? Because you're my dad. You're, you're here for me because I belong. Our father in heaven, you belong. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, dad, father, this is my family. This is where I belong. It's an important prayer. The one in heaven, the one who is everywhere all around us, the one who is holy, we affirm that we are in his family. We bear his name, and his name is set apart and glorious, and we declare our identification as those who are bound together by the one who chooses to accept us. And he does so in Jesus. The lie is that you need to belong and be accepted by others. The truth is you are already loved and accepted and belong to your father in heaven. And Jesus has come to reveal that to us. And as we come to Christ, we see who we are and that we are loved. So may you realize that today. Let's pray. (sighs) Father, I know that this desire to be accepted and to belong is so subtly interwoven into us that it affects us in so many ways. And, And... My desire this morning is to help those who maybe aren't aware of the ways that they look for acceptance, aren't aware of how they are wanting to be approved by others and don't recognize that they are beloved by you. Lord, may our eyes be opened to the lies we believe when it comes to this area of belonging and wanting to be something we're not so that we can be accepted, not realizing that then who is accepted isn't who we are. But Lord, you know us in our shame when we were aliens, strangers, You accepted us for who we really are. May that be good news to our souls. May it free us so that we can in turn love freely. And may it change us, transform us so that we too can be more like Christ and love and care even as he did whose name we pray. Amen. May you discern that you belong not because of your approval from others, but because of your being loved by God. And may the love of God set you free from the need to prove yourself and allow you to love freely. 
from who you are. God bless you guys. Love you. Miss you. Again, put on your calendar June 11th, Friday. Hopefully we can see you on Zoom then and talk to you again soon. God bless. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.